Hello and welcome to Triassic Park, a dinosaur movie podcast that deals with every film featuring dinosaurs, animated or otherwise, before the release of 1993's Jurassic Park, which of course changed the world of dinosaur cinema forever. We are focusing on the origins. Today we are talking about one of the big daddies in the origins of dinosaur movies, uh, one could argue the most important dinosaur movie of all time, The Lost World from 1925. Luckily this time, you won't just have to listen to me prattle on, because I have a guest. Hello, Alex. How are you doing? I'm great, Andrew. How are you tonight? Oh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a rainy night here, but, um, you know, it kind of sets the mood for escaping to a lost world yes. of magical places. A and a plateau. World. I did... A plateau. I did not. I, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll get into that in a bit. But the plateau of it all was a little bit surprising to me. Um, yeah. Well, what before we get in, uh, what I'm going to do with, with every guest is kind of get their introduction to dinosaurs in the movies. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what time period it was. Uh, I can't, you know, there's a lot of sinking suspicions as to what it could be. But I'm interested as to when the first time a dinosaur at the movies like you you experienced it or it really made an impact on you um i can say almost without a doubt it was the land before time yeah um, i remember uh why i want to say it's one of those movies my my parents got from like the columbia house video club either that or mcdonald's did like a weird promotion where it was like oh like with the purchase of a value menu like get get a a, a copy of certain movies for like eight dollars and i think they did like ghost and and a couple other movies and one of them was uh lamb for time so i really remember watching that as a kid and being um terrified of a uh, sharp tooth like a t-rex and um yeah just being three or four and then watching this kid watch his mom die and then everybody everybody always says that's the sad part where his mom dies but no the sad scene comes immediately after that where he's walking and the sun is behind him and he's casting this giant shadow over on a rock and he thinks that it's his mom and as he runs closer his shadow shrinks and he realizes it's his shadow and then he's like rubbing up against the shadow and sort of like sad. And then an old man dinosaur comes and is like, no, like your mother's gone. Like, and you've got to come with us to the Great Valley and blah, blah. And like, that's the part that like kills me. Like I, yeah. I'm a grown ass man and I can't watch The Land Before Time without like weeping. <laughs> I remember revisiting it in my late teens, early twenties with my best friend. It was on like ytv or something and we were hanging out at my house and uh just flipping by on the channels and saw that it was on and we we're both like yeah no like i remember this from when we were kids and like not exactly we weren't tough guys or anything but we're not exactly open emotional teens uh and then when we started watching we we're both like looking at each other and like wiping away tears and trying not to <laughs> notice each other and be like let's go let's go outside let's let's go to the store um so that you know that's a that's a it's a very affecting movie like it's just it's 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 a combination of like one you know you got the music the music will always get you like yep. the, the 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 soundtrack is just so good 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of combine that with like again, like the animation, like Don Bluth. Honestly, like I think maybe the best Don Bluth as far as like technical achievement. Like I love a lot of Don Bluth film, but like I think that might have been the top, the top of of the studio's game. But I mean, you could argue that obviously. But I would, uh, I would agree. Like he had. Because this was the one where he had Spielberg and 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 I want to say Lucas, like he had the two of them involved yeah, in the production, that's which right. is also why, like as dark as it is, it was supposed to be ten minutes long and even sadder. Like I think there was <laughs> supposed to be a more drawn out battle with uh, Littlefoot's mom and the Sharp Tooth, where you actually like see why she dies. Um, like I think it was, from what I understand, like Spielberg watched the 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 rough cut and was like you can't show this to kids <laughs> so the director's yeah, that, that cut of, right. of land before time is actually like 10 minutes longer and it's never been released because if you look at that movie you're like 70 it, it's it's something incredibly short it's it's like toy story where it's like this 70 or 80 minutes where you're like this is barely a movie but yeah right. it's because it's because there was a a large swath uh cut because it was even darker and more depressing <laughs> damn damn and considering the money train that that franchise became um that may have been smart on spielberg's part to uh you know tone it down a little bit so he can make it as profitable as humanly possible well i mean we'll get you know, to that you, we'll get to the you, very first one yeah well i mean you mentioned jurassic park earlier and maybe it was land before time that had spielberg really realize like hey dinosaurs are big business yeah spielberg um definitely post jurassic park uh and post land before time obviously but like he really he saw the dinosaur dollar signs and uh he ran with it for quite a few years (laughs) yes as a kid were you like this is obviously not true this is an overgeneralization a hundred percent but people always go there's dinosaur kids and then there's car kids uh you can obviously be both like you know transformers you know had grimlock the dinosaur and had optimus prime you can love both but that's true were you were you a a big fan of dinosaurs as a kid i was a big ninja turtle kid those were the first like real toys but then when when land before time had had been out i don't really remember I don't think there was a toy line for the original movie. If there was, it was before my time. Um, I remember when the second movie came out uh, and they did, um, I think it was like Pizza Hut or somebody did like bigger sized, like like fair sized little dolls that you could get. Um, so I don't remember really having many dinosaur toys. I remember like... I would go with my dad to the to the thrift store like every week and if I saw like one of the random bags of toys like one week I'd get army men I definitely had some dinosaur action figures and and little rubber guys and I remember going with my dad to a garage sale and getting um yeah is it Grimlock who's the T-Rex transformer yeah Grimlock so I was I remember we were at a garage sale and I found a grimlock and i was i was like four or something so this would have been early 90s when transformers were just falling out of uh favor so i remember getting like a grimlock it was my only transformer ever as a kid and yeah just the fact that it was like a t-rex yeah it was a t-rex transformer i'm like this is awesome um 
And then that really held me over. And I remember when it was ramping up to Jurassic Park was when Dinosaur Fever hit hard. Oh, yeah. And there was this magazine that you could buy. And uh, I the name is escapes me. I it, But essentially what it was was like 20 to 30 issues. And every issue came with a like balsa wood or like really small wooden piece of a uh, brachiosaur or brontosaurus uh, skeleton. So you had to buy the magazine every week or every month or whatever. And at the end of it, you could put together this uh, wooden, maybe it was plastic though, because I remember it glowing in the dark. Okay, I'm going to change and say it was plastic. Uh, <laughs> came with these plastic bones. And yeah, when you got, if, if, if you got every issue, you got to put together this glow in the dark dinosaur skeleton. And I remember this was right in the early 90s because I remember being in grade one. So that would have been right before Jurassic Park, I think. Um, and uh, one of the kids in my class, like his parents bought him every issue and he put it together. And I remember like the teacher taking us to like the janitor's closet because it was the only room that they could turn off all the lights so we could see it glow in the dark. So each kid had to like take turns going into the janitor's closet to look at this glow in the dark dinosaur because we couldn't make the classroom dark enough. That is amazing. I love I love little stories like that, little snippets uh, snippets from the history. So that's uh, that is awesome. You see, you have some really good uh, dinosaur memories, and you just brought me the great revelation that now I can cover Transformers the movie on this podcast because of Grimlock. That's yes. true. Yes. And yes, if you hear that in the background, that is one of my cats mewling. You know, cats cats gonna cat. So uh, you know, can't don't have time to edit every one of those out. You know, just have to it's deal with cats. <laughs> it's all good. This is an animal themed podcast. So exactly, exactly. Uh, and I mean, especially in the later Jurassic Park films, they basically make all the dinosaurs cats. Like the way that they the dinosaurs react is basically very cat like, um, which is always fascinating. Even when they train them, they don't really listen uh, or they eat you. But, you know, <laughs> such is the world of cats. Yeah. Uh, but, but what we're here to talk about uh, this week is The Lost World from 1925. And like I said in the intro, it's argu- arguably the most important dinosaur film of all time. While it's not as famous like as in the common vernacular as King Kong, all the elements that make Kong so iconic were pioneered with The Lost World. Interestingly enough, there are reports that the reason why this film is so hard to find in its totality, and even the version that we have right now, the 2016 version, uh, is still missing scenes, uh, but one of the reasons why it's so difficult to find copies in full of The Lost World is because when King Kong was coming out, uh, the plot lines are very similar. And reportedly, they destroyed a bunch of the copies so that nobody could see that King Kong had any inspiration. That's one of the, the theories. Is right, it, it got they, There was an order and a signature signed to destroy all copies of this film. And that happened right around the turn of uh, the production of King Kong. So, you know, kind of goes hand in hand. Um, it's based off of the 1912 novel by Sir Carthen, uh, Sir Carthen, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who briefly appears in The Lost World. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, at least in the most complete version, he appears in a few other cuts, I believe. 
the version that you see uh, in the Lost Worlds, uh, the latest versions, and any versions he does appear in, is actually not the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle clip that actually opened it originally. That is a reconstruction, and that is actually from a different interview that they kind of added in, as originally he was meant to be at a desk. Fun. Yeah, it did feel very strange. It felt, now that you mention it, it almost felt like, uh, like Plan 9, like watching, like, this scene with Bella Lugosi doesn't really seem like it was shot for this. Right. it, It did seem very out of place, and now that you explain that, I mean, with a silent movie, the guy could be saying anything and you just make the intertitles match up. Um, right. Yeah. Apparently it was, he was being interviewed about the paranormal. Um, you know, that's, right. what the, that's, that's like a little documentary about him being interviewed with the paranormal. Uh, that's kind of a big thing with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He was a big into parapsychology. So there you go. Fun fact. But yeah, it is a little weird and out of place because it's like him and his dog and it's like this sunny sunny spot where you're just like sitting down and looking at the camera where potentially apparently in the script it was supposed to be like he was at like a desk like when you'd be like introduced in like a literary style and being like yes tell me the tale uh but aside from the uh conan doyle of it all um the special effects are what really set the film apart and and set it as something truly special this is the full cinematic debut of willis o'brien there were a variety of short films Uh, actually most of them were made for edison such as rfd which is i watched it and it is a stop motion flintstones basically Uh, it, it has like all of the comedic beats that you would see in Flintstones, but it's stop motion and made in 1917, which was kind of crazy. And the ghost of slumber mountain is another one he was involved in. And and in that one, there is a brief appearance of like a, a ghost that's supposed to be haunting an area. And that's supposed to be like a mad ghost. And the ghost is actually, uh, Willis O'Brien, which is kind of funny. And That's the awesome. guy has like a huge beard, so it was like it was like a weird <laughs> thing to know. Um, so uh, O'Brien did not invent stop motion. Stop motion has been around as as far and as early as eighteen ninety five, and even before that. But eighteen ninety five is when it made its uh, screen debut for film. Again, very early days of film, with the execution of Mary Stewart, which is what the original one was. Uh, it's interesting uh, that even when you watch the outtakes from this film, they still look really, really good. Uh, the Blu-ray has a variety of the outtakes, but one of the interesting ways that the film was distributed, and again, why we we're able to get a longer length of the film, uh, all of the in-person dramatic scenes were shot with two cameras. The special effects scenes were not. So in different counties and different countries, you would have potentially gotten a different animation take, uh, depending on what where the film was being distributed. So apparently, like America got like the best the best animation takes, and then it kind of like degraded as they like <laughs> put it down the line. Um, I would love to have seen it in like, I don't know, like the far Russia, like in a ho-dunk town and just see what it would have looked like. Cause it did the, one of the, um, one of the uh, cuts that helped to revitalize the film was actually from Czechoslovakia. So that was apparently the end of the running of the film. Um, so 
the other two big creative forces uh, behind the scenes uh, are Harry O'Hoyt, who is the director, and Marion Fairfax, uh, who is the screenwriter. Fairfax is a pioneer and a playwright. Uh, she created her own film company, and it, during that time she only made one film, but she founded her own film company back in the early 1920s, which is like a huge deal for women in film. And then she kind of did a signing with National Pictures, which led to her writing for The Lost World. She, her mysteriously enough, her career kind of like disappears after like 1927, I believe. She kind of retired and uh, just kind of like left the scene entirely. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting, though, because this is another female presence in one of these early monster films. Uh, and King Kong, notably, also has a female co-writer. Uh, so the women are very vital to the birth of the monster movie genre. The director, Harry O'Hoyt, uh, he was a screenwriter and a playwright of his own. He directed 20 feature films and a variety of shorts. Uh, easily, though, The Lost World is the most notable. I think a lot of his films and a lot of his early films are lost just because there is a lot of degradation from silent films of that era, and if they weren't properly, you know, looked after or archived then they are gone which is unfortunate uh his brother though arthur hoyt actually plays the character professor summerlee in the film so that's Ooh. kind of that's kind of a funny thing so that's basically a kind of like an overview on the behind the scenes people who were involved in making the film but let's get into the dino breakdown alex if you were to guess, what dinosaur would you think that I would decide to to do this entire piece on? Hmm. There's a lot of great dinosaurs in this movie. There are. There are. If I was going to... If I was going to guess, I'd only say the, the... I think it was a pterodon or a pterodactyl. I'd only guess that because it's the first dinosaur we see in the movie... And, you know, because this all tangentially ends up, I, I am trying to think of things also through a lens of Jurassic Park. It's the one dinosaur that Spielberg just couldn't get right for Jurassic Park, which is why they don't show up until uh, Jurassic Park 3, because this the, the techniques just weren't there at the time to do flying dinosaurs. But it's interesting right. that, like, the first dinosaur we see in the first major live-action stop motion dinosaur film is a, a pterodon right now that would be a great choice that was not the choice i made of course not of course i didn't make that choice <laughs> that choice because that that sounds way too way too poetic and way too interesting uh, no i chose one that i was like well i don't think this shows up in any other movies so i'm not gonna have a chance to ever talk about this creature again and also, uh, what's interesting is I don't think it's actually a real creature. I think it's misidentified. So uh, prepare to get the story about the Agathomus. Agathomus. Who okay. knows if I said that right? These uh, dinosaurs are historically difficult to pronounce. And I looked up a pronunciation guide, and I got Agathomus. So there you go. That's what it is. So you you might have in the film seen seen this it has a fight with the allosaur and it kind of looks like a triceratops or if you're a big uh, you know a big nerd you might go oh that's a styracosaurus with two extra horns but no it is a different 
dinosaur altogether. So this is basically, it looks like a triceratops, but it has like the armored plating on the side, like right. the armored skin skin. And when I, when I was watching the film, I was like, oh, that's a styracosaurus. No, wait, there's two extra horns there. What's the deal with this dinosaur? Because it's just weird. Like I was trying to think and I was, was wondering maybe his abilities to make triceratops just like rapidly improved and he completely changed the model and the puppet like halfway through the film like that wouldn't make much sense but no this is an actual dinosaur kind of the the version that you see in the movie is identical to an 1897 painting by an artist named charles r knight uh so it was exactly they saw that painting and they're like bam we're putting that in the movie it was discovered in 1872 by a paleontologist named Edward Drinker Cope. Isn't that a name? That is a great name. And it was actually discovered before any other Triceratops or Styracosaurus or any Ceratopsian. So that's why it wasn't just called a Triceratops because I'm pretty sure that they found a Triceratops skeleton, but they named it something different. Because there's literally only one of these skeletons discovered, and it was that 1872 original discovery. Oh. And in that discovery, they didn't really find a head. They didn't really find too much to go for. It was 16 vertebrae from the tail, and there's some pieces from the back, a partial pelvis, and several ribs. So in all likelihood, because they didn't actually have the classification at the time, this is just some type of ceratopsian, whether it's triceratops or whether it's some other variant. We're not sure, but it kind of doesn't seem to be like a real dinosaur. And that's probably why it didn't appear anywhere else. But I was like, oh, this is a cool little story. And I thought I would share it with you all. So there you go. You learned something hmm. today, Alex. Congratulations. I did. That is very cool. I know that there's been misidentifications and that there was arguments over... Like, even recently, like, Brachiosaur versus Brontosaurus, and are they different, and are, like, different yeah. variations and all that. And, you know, even, it's it's arguments that last even up until now, that, like you said, the, they've been discovering these dinosaurs going back 150 years now, but, if not even longer, uh, but as far as cataloging them scientifically, uh, just even now, there's there's still disagreements about what bone belongs to what and 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 whether something is a classification of another thing so it is interesting that yeah this was made at a time where either this dinosaur was considered to be a legit dinosaur or there was no contrary evidence that it should be classified as something else so that is that is a really cool story yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wild because you really realize that these are kind of like the wild west as far as dinosaur hunting goes and as far as like the dinosaur bone game goes because this was this was discovered in montana i believe and you know they didn't have any reference of anything else of the sort and i imagine somebody was just going through a, a dinosaur art book saw this painting and was like that that dinosaur looks cool i'm gonna put that in the movie <laughs> Yeah. right i don't i don't believe it appears in the book but i i would have to i would have to double check on that uh i don't believe it appeared in the book but now we're going into the discussion portion of the podcast so alex was this your first time watching the lost world uh from start to finish yes i do remember it being on like late at night on one of the 
the like cheap channels or, or or like i think it was like new vr or one of those channels like that where they would just show old public domain stuff after hours so i'm pretty sure at a younger age i watched big chunks of this um and probably fell asleep i have a hard time as as a younger person i had a hard time staying awake during like silent black and white things they just they're perfectly made to lull me to sleep like just them just being a couple different colors and the 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 piano music it, it normally just helped lull me to sleep but this was the first time i'd watched it front to back uh i watched the i think one of the most complete cuts it wasn't the 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 high quality blu-ray version but it did have the intro where they said like oh this is sourced from like eight different prints and it did have the the introduction with uh conan doyle and nice. uh, it did have a lot of it how, was how uh, long like, was it i want to say like a hundred and six minutes i believe that was the same version then yep that does okay. sound like that does sound like the same version um it's hilarious i wonder if the version that you originally watched could have been uh one of the very early reconstructions uh the booklet that comes with the blu-ray has all of the history of like the different reconstructions of this particular film mm-hmm. and they spent 80 like the very first like full-on reconstruction to like add it to i believe that added it to and made it to 72 minutes um not quite 90 minutes but they restored quite a bit with that uh, as normally it's like an hour that is like the base film that a lot of people have seen because that was for a while the only part that existed but they spent eight i believe it was eighty thousand dollars restoring this print People like Hugh Hefner were involved because he loved like classic cinema and wanted to like restore this version of film of the film, and they never officially released it. The only like it it got stuffed as a special feature release for one of the later versions of the Lost World, like the Irwin hmm. Allen version, which is from like the sixties. Yeah, uh, which uh, which we've discussed, and we're going to actually go through the history of Land of the Lost adaptations uh, as as we bring you back on. That's going to be one of the things we talk about. But uh, that one, uh, that one has dinosaurs with frills. That and by dinosaurs with frills, I mean they just put some frills on a crocodile and they call it a dinosaur and they just <laughs> let it run around a set and then fight a baby croc or something like it was or an iguana. There's going to be so many instances of that, but. <laughs> Uh, it's let's just say it's a movie that is uh not of the same quality so (laughs) yeah i'm uh that was a little unfortunate although i i do think there's a kick butt laser disc that might exist of that version that apparently has like a pretty good um essay along with it but i've I've heard that and i'll have to double check i don't believe i have it in my collection but when i bought that one collection from the the film collector i did get a lot of silence like i got the the old dark house and and a lot of nice some certain pre-code uh silent films so i'll have to see if that's one of the ones i uh i have in my unsorted collection that would be uh that would be a good that would be a good find um you you mentioned the music uh so i i did a little research to try to figure out what was up with the music of this print that we watched and it was actually a completely new score done by a gentleman named robert israel and he did all of the orchestration and completely redone and redid all the music for it. So what happened is it looks like they had 
they keep they've had to keep rescoring this because like you know as it gets longer and as scenes get spaced out and as more of the film is complete they're like well, right well this score doesn't work anymore because this score is like fit to work with this specific parameters and apparently they had like a full orchestra and they had like a lot of uh materials at their at their at the ready so they were able to do a pretty good score i i found uh i found the score pretty good what did you think of that i liked it a lot uh it was it was one of the better produced ones that I've I've heard to go along with a movie that, you know, either the original score is lost or, like you said, they've had to extend over the years as they discover better prints. Um, like, I've, I've watched a couple different... I think I've watched The General with a few different scores, and I've watched... Uh, I want to say Nosferatu with, like, a bizarre score. And uh, Oh, yeah, I... I, I think there's, there's some like there's some like prog rock scores for Nosferatu. I think yeah, there's like some and, wild stuff. And there's the uh, there's the famous Metropolis cut, the uh, oh, Giorgio yeah. Moroder cut, where he rescored it and then got like rock stars from the 70s and 80s to uh, record songs. So that's like a crazy tinted version of the movie that Metropolis, the the longest version available now, I think is just just around two hours but the Giorgio Mordor cut I think is just under 90 minutes and yeah it's it's got all sorts of crazy uh crazy music in it and it it is it is an interesting thing to just go back and and have somebody do their interpretation but in a classic style like it it did feel like the kind of thing that if you were sitting in a big uh Nickelodeon or 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 a uh, big theater back in the twenties. You can't imagine just the, the pianist sitting up there in the pit, like playing along. Like it did sound very of the time. And, and it, it there were certain elements that I'm like, I kept being like, wow, like, I wonder if this inspired like other scores. Cause I'm picking up on certain notes. And then I was like, well, it could just be that the guy who's doing this was inspired by things that came after. So it's like an Ouroboros. I'm like, I don't know if this inspired stuff or if this is inspired by stuff, but I, I, I really did enjoy the, the experience. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's an interesting score to say the least. It sounded like he did a lot of research uh, from the time period that the, uh, the film was made in his little essay segment of the booklet. Again, this is, is if you're at all interested in this film, I would really recommend tracking down this Blu-ray. It's a little hard to track down now. I had to go through a secondary seller to get it when I eventually did buy it. And it was from it's from 2017 and it has a a really really good and really comprehensive commentary to go along with it as well. And I've actually watched that commentary twice and each time I'm like writing notes like scribbling like a madman like trying to like get all the information. So it's it's an entertaining commentary as well. It's not just like a slog. It's not just like somebody's just like dumping every information they they got about the film. So don't don't worry about that. But um, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a pretty uh, handy and pretty comprehensive Blu-ray. But but as for the film itself, Alex, what did you think of the film when you watched it now, uh, in its totality? I mean, aside from the blackface, which uh, yeah, we're definitely gonna talk about that. But yeah, there's blackface in this, and it's pretty bad. It was bad, but at the same time, I was expecting it to be more, uh, not necessarily rude, but I was expecting it to be, um, more buffoonish or, 
uh, making the character just the butt of all the jokes. And he was a little bit of uh, comedy relief. But at the same time, like he he was a competent character who was helping them through the jungle. Right. Um, so in the, uh, uh, and his the way that he's treated in the book is a very different set of circumstances. And him being I cannot imagine Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was happy about this portrayal of this character because in the book he he's a li- he's still like look, it's somebody is writing in the the early 1900s about a race that they're not part of and a culture they don't really know that much. So it's not it's not not racist. But he's a he's a very competent character in the book and a very heroic character who is like really like they I think they literally in the book they call him like the African Hercules or something like that. Like he hmm. he is apparently like a crazy useful part of the expedition and he like really helps like wrangle and get everyone back safely. But his inclusion and his treatment is especially wild because there is a history. Do you know anything about the Belgian Congo in the early 1900s? This is gonna. Uh, this is going somewhere. Safe. I swear. It, I think it is safe to say that I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm a little behind on my. Uh, yeah, early 1900. My early 20th century uh, history of the Belgian Congo, but. Hey, do tell that's fair that's fair so basically now keep in mind any major historians out here this is going to be paraphrased this is not going to be like a strict blow by bull but there was a gentleman named king leopold iii who was trying to do all of the rubber trade in and in in the country and he used like real bad slavery like he was doing like terrible slavery and like really poor treatment of everyone in in the congo and it got a lot of human rights people involved and a lot of people wrote pretty extensive books on that and sir arthur conan doyle was one of them he wrote a non-fiction book about the treatment of the the black populace in the congo by the belgian people who had uh, you know who had taken over and had pretty much been ruling with like an iron fist and like if you if you're at all interested in ruining your night you can look into the history of it it's not it's not nice but it's to the point where in in the book roxton who is the uh noble hunter old man creeper zoid in the movie uh he's not that creepy but you know it's a little weird but uh he is the more refined hunter guy he is actually part of helping out the congolese people like that's one of his backstories in the book Hmm. like in the book he he has a invested interest in treating the native populace of wherever they go with respect and part of that is they do come into a lot of tribes and stuff on their on the journey in the book and you know it's a lot more drawn out because it's a book but it's 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 interesting how even one of the villains of the book is somebody who was killed due to uh their brother was killed by roxton due to him interfering with the slave trade so like it's just wild like there's it's it's uh it's as progressive as you can get for the for that for that period of time but like they were trying so it's especially interesting that in in this movie uh the character uh is treated so so poorly um but anyway sorry you were talking about the the movie as a whole yeah he is he's he wasn't as cartoony as I expected him to be, especially having seen 
certain other movies of that era and even some produced afterwards oh he, yeah there's he bad was ones. he was definitely uh it could have been better but i was i was prepared for it to be much worse um i was surprised that the movie starts with uh ed is it edward or is I know he's Ed. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was Edwin or something like that. Edwin, like yeah. He's got a wheel. He was, sorry, honestly, of all the characters that I wrote down, I didn't write down his name other than Ed because I found him boring. Yep, <laughs> and that's fair. He's he's really just the, the handsome lead of the movie uh, that is the excuse for the story to move forward. Uh, but... I, I thought it was hilarious that the movie starts with him proposing to Gladys uh, and her being like, uh, I, I can't marry you. Like you haven't, you haven't looked death in the face. Like you, you have, you're not really a man and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I was, I was a little shocked that like, that's how the movie starts. But it's interesting that you mentioned it was written by a woman and it might've just been her, thinking like what's now obviously it's based on the book and i don't know if that's how the book starts but the fact that the movie picks that as the starting point like her telling him like yeah no like if you if you want to get with me you better prove that you're a real man uh i was i was a little taken aback by that but at the same time i I, i'm like oh well good for her like she's got standards she's not you know subservient and just being made to marry this guy because that's what her parents want or something she's like yeah no like you go and if you die you die whatever um, <laughs> if you die you die i love that ed goes to the newspaper office and then it turned into like a bizarre slapstick like it felt like a mr totally. show sketch totally like, where totally wild. He, he like Apparently. slips on the banana peel and knocks over the the bottle of ink and then like is 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 blotting him his face with ink and then shakes hands and gets ink on the editor's hands and it was honestly like the scene in Ernest goes to jail when he's in court and his pen bursts and like the ink is going everywhere that's all i could think of i'm like oh man like i guess sometimes you got to play some of it broad this is the it's... start of the movie like you got to rope people in and entertain the kids if they were brought along and yeah, I, I was not expecting such bizarre broad comedy, but from being in the mid-20s and the height of vaudeville and all that, like, it definitely made sense. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that uh, that kind of goes through the film as a whole. I, I think the film is actually paced pretty well, if not odd. Like, I, I did not find myself bored throughout the film. I did find some of the choices, like, again, whenever they do comedy, it is the broadest comedy that you could do. It's, like, full-on slapstick, which I enjoyed. I had a good time with it, but I was not expecting such broad comedic strokes. But I I found it kind of, like, helped the film never be boring, and I thought that the human characters did have a, a very interesting back and forth, especially once Professor Challenger is, is introduced. Challenger is, like the goat i love that man he he is pretty much a goat of a man uh basically he's just like some wild-haired crazy man but he's also an intellectual like that's only a sir arthur conan doyle character like a hundred percent that totally that kind of character 
apparently in the book that scene that you were mentioning or sorry in the early scripts the scene had a lot more detail to it in terms of the slapsticky nature in that like they specifically send him there because they want to have a good reason to sue challenger because they want him to in public assault the guy they're like oh if we send our dopiest reporter in public to go talk to challenger he'll assault him in public and there's no way we can't like sue him and then apparently there were scenes where he was supposed to like meet up with all the other reporters who had went to go talk to challenger and they were like going to be like in like comedic versions of like stilts and like stuff like that like be like oh we gotta keep crutches and oh my arm got broken by him he's so tough (laughs) So it just uh, it was, it was that wild. That is wacky, but that would have been interesting to see that play out. Because uh, it does. It moves very briskly just to get started. Like, we're introduced to Ed and Gladys. He proposes. She says no. He goes to this newspaper office uh, through overhearing and and stumbling into the office because, uh, like you mentioned, the, the lawsuit where that is in the movie where the, the editor of the paper says that challenger is going to sue him um and he's asking his his uh, i don't remember if it's his friend or his, uh, the legal counsel like does he have a leg to stand on so that does make more sense now why they sent ed to go to try and sneak into this no reporters allowed press conference which makes <laughs> no sense uh so that that does make more sense now that you've explained that that oh they want him to get accosted by uh challenger so that challenger can't sue them or they have grounds to counter sue so that is actually very funny um it's pretty it's pretty great it's a pretty it's a pretty great premise challenger being like yes no i i need people to volunteer and the old guy volunteering and him being like, well, I guess you're not too old or. Uh, <laughs> I think he, like, he said something like rather an old, old and useless than a stubborn young fool or something like yeah. that. Like he just yeah, completely it was a very, the dude. Yeah. Well, there's like, and that's like a great runner for the movie. Like they have this weird back and forth where, yeah, what the, we'll get to it. But the whole, the tree catapult thing, I was like, oh boy, like this is. <laughs> This is straight, like, this is cartoony. Yeah, um, it, it's it's interesting. So apparently uh, when Fairfax was writing writing the picture, it's reported that she didn't have a lot of confidence in, uh, in Willis O'Brien being able to effectively do everything that was in the script. And apparently there were things in the script that did have to be cut because they just couldn't be done. But, like, I mean, like, come on, give the guy a break. It's really early in stop motion. Uh, yeah. And what is done is amazing. But, um apparently she wrote a lot more scenes that i believe were actually filmed but they got cut out prior to the film's release uh basically that kind of gave more meat to some of the human characters and some of the human stories that kind of branched out and i think some of the some little things like uh like the reporters and the editors um may have been the result of getting cut that way or they might be in a lost print uh, that's kind of it's hard to say with some of this stuff so right. there's apparently like, like there's like an annotated script book which i would love to get my hands on that kind of talks about some of these things which is uh which is interesting so cool um, yeah that's what yeah. that's when we get uh introduced to well first we get introduced to roxton who 
at first I'm like, he can't be that useful on this like expedition. He's got like a he's got like a cane. Like he's like using a cane, and but then you find out eventually in the movie, you find it's one of those fancy canes. Like you don't need that cane. You're just being fancy. Yeah. Um. And he he pretty much helps to sneak Ed into the insane press conference. Yeah. <laughs> Which like honestly, I thought was just gonna end with Challenger just fighting everyone. Like it just it, you, I swore that 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 whole thing was just gonna end with him just like punching everyone in the face. It could have been like that weird that weird meme of that of that guy going around like punching all those children and punching their parents <laughs> and like punching punching everyone. Like yeah. that's that's Challenger in a nutshell. It uh, yeah, I was. I admired the fact that they're like, yeah, no, we're just gonna make this, this truly wacky guy, the real, not necessarily the main character, but he's gonna be the driving force for a lot of this, um, and I think from what you've said and what little I read about it, like I think Conan Doyle really liked Challenger, and I did he appear in other stories. Yeah, he wrote he wrote a few sequels. Um, none of them involve dinosaurs, and they're all very weird. Because in the commentary, right. they detail some of them. One of them involves like a poisonous gas cloud that Challenger thinks is going to kill the entire world. So he he sets up like a bunker where he sets up his own home to be stable and brings everyone in there. And then it found, figures out that the gas cloud only goes like lasts like three minutes, and everyone's fine. And that's the story. And I'm like, what? <laughs> wait what <laughs> what what why did you write that story <laughs> did you write I mean, a bottle episode for your book what i mean i think he just loved really eccentric characters like i mean it's Sherlock true. holmes is one of the most eccentric classic literary characters that people still talk about today and that is part of the reason he's remembered for being so eccentric so I'm I'm guessing Conan Doyle was like, oh yeah, like I I gotta I just love writing kooks, so I really loved that. Yeah, they introduced Challenger. He does seem like he wants to fight everybody. Uh, when he finds out that Ed is a reporter, it turns into like a giant riot, and then Ed escaping and 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 hiding, and then jumping on the back of Challenger's uh carriage to follow him home and then sneaking in through the window to confront him and say like, no, I want to go with you. Like if I don't like my, my, my girlfriend will never agree to marry me. <laughs> it does and... sound like the way you're describing it almost sounds like an improv. Like somebody's doing improv and they're just like, and then they fight, but my character still makes it to his house by sneaking on a chariot and yeah. getting there. And he throws him out a window and then his wife gets mad at him and like it it is very much like yes and yes and like it does seem very improv like like a weird um whose line is it bit with <laughs> with uh yeah Ryan Styles and Colin Mockery just having a fight over wanting to look death in the face and see dinosaurs so that your woman will marry you like <laughs> It's it is truly bizarre, but I love that it it does just resolve where he's like, oh, I admire your your tenacity or whatever. Like, yes, no, you can accompany us. And why didn't? Oh no, because he's like, I'm good friends with Roxton, and he's like, Why didn't you say that in the first place? And I'm like, Oh, that's legitimately funny. 
but he's like, I wouldn't have thrown you out my window if you told me you were that dude's best friend. Like, <laughs> and him and Roxton, I don't get it. I don't know if they have like a Doc and Marty sort of relationship where it's like this older rich nobleman who has this young reporter uh protege that that you know hangs out with him see i thought they just met like i thought they had just met at that event and then he had been like yeah i'm friends with him he's fine and then they're like oh and he can also bring us money and then they're all like money you say also if roxton is like a famous rich industrialist which he seems to be like he's like a great hunter and he's like got all this acclaim and he's got a cane that he doesn't obviously need so he's obviously fancy of some sort like why couldn't he just fund the expedition but yeah i gotta say roxton is the he's part of the reason why this movie deserves to be seen more because he's such an interesting character he where is it's true this this scene as it goes on roxton's there and then you meet um paula maple white's daughter paula right and what a wild last name by the way what a wild last name maple white like that's like when somebody's like making fun of canada but anyways yeah so maple white has gone missing and it was his journal that they were looking at and paula's actually the one that brought it back now maybe i wasn't paying enough attention because i thought challenger was the one who had gone but Challenger was the one just setting it up based on Paula having gone and having the, the diary. So again, this is stuff that they might have deleted a scene or two just to add more dinosaurs later where I it, it made sense. But I was definitely playing catch up where I'm like, wait, what? Like, oh, her dad is the one who drew these drawings and 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 Challenger wants to get this expedition to find her dad but also to prove that the dinosaurs are real um and then you find out that roxton and paula who are not close in age at all paula seems to be maybe early 20s as far as the way her character's played at the oldest um and roxton seems to be a dude in his 60s or or, or so um and yeah the fact that they seemingly know each other already and have this secret love affair going but then ed sort of develops feelings for her or he he, you know he's he's like oh wow she's really pretty and i guess she's gonna be coming along for the ride uh but roxton is such a an interesting character where yeah he is just this older dude with a crush on this younger lady uh, who seemingly is reciprocal to it, if not a little weirded out by it? Yeah, yeah. It seems like a, it seems like a, a, a not, not super creepy relationship. I mean, like at least there's no, uh, like Indiana Jones and Marion lines where if you do the math, you're like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> like the start of Raiders where they talk about like I was just a child, and then you do the math and you're like, oh, gee, what? Oh, Indiana Jones, what? Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, he's not just a grave robber, he's a cradle robber too. <laughs> uh but yeah, the the whole thing with Roxton knowing her her possibly knowing her father and having a history with her, again, not totally explained, but it doesn't matter. Like you figure it out. Like you don't get the exposition for it, but you see the scenes and you're like, "Oh, okay. 
Like this seemingly came out of nowhere, but then it continues and it makes sense. And he um, actually ends up finding her father's corpse pretty much. Like so apparently yeah. in that scene so I didn't pick up on that at first. Okay. That I thought he just found the, the locket and then gave her the locket and was like, Oh, he probably did. Like, oh found his locket. Right. But apparently the, the, the skeleton the, looked really decomposed for having only been there three to six months or however long it was yeah yeah so for whatever reason my eyes just did not catch the skeleton so so he actually found the skeleton and found because like i ended the movie and i was like how did they like weren't they there to find a dude we found his like watch but like maybe he's still kicking around but no he is dead and they do find the skeleton so i completely missed that part yeah but we yeah that's we eventually get there but uh yeah they they all hang out at at challengers and they all get ready to leave and then we get like the i don't know how it was shown in your version but in the version i watched where they just show like a map of the world (laughs) and they've got england and they've got like a little arrow that says like liverpool and then they have like a little cutout boat that like they just like which came from a trailer by the way that scene came from a trailer they found like an old trailer that was like really well preserved and that's the only thing that had that scene in it so that scene is actually from like a trailer that they somebody found i what's interesting about the 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 film stock in this it'll it switches from like 16 millimeter to 35 millimeter am i doing am i right yeah okay 35 millimeter God, I've been around film for long enough. I should fucking know this. But anyways, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it it varies print to print because apparently in like the early days of when they were first doing 16 millimeter films and they would do like the chunkets and they do like shorter versions. I mean, you obviously yeah. know that because that's how we watched a version of Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein in your house. Yes, once, the, and that was the digest version. Yeah, the digest yeah, do a version. Digest yeah. where it'll be twenty minutes of the best scenes, or just like a one reeler. So it'll be eight to twenty minutes, depending on how long they can fit on the reel. But right, and I, yeah. and I think I think there was like a trailer. There might have been like a trailer compilation or something type of that, and that's where they actually got that scene. But anyways, don't mean to that was it. great. I I thought it was fun. It 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 was very of the time. But I did laugh, and it actually made me happy to just see, like, oh, yeah, like, how are they going to explain? Like, do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> like, I love that they drew, liver like, an arrow to Liverpool, and then they just have it go, yeah, to the... Is it in the Peruvian... Or wherever it is supposed to be in, in, in South America, where they go. Um, and then you just see them all sort of set up a base camp, and then, uh, yeah, we meet the the uh, the native guide... And we also meet uh, Jocko, the the monkey. Yeah, apparently this is one of those scenes that was a lot longer in uh, both the script and possibly other cuts. Like this might have been some of the stuff that was trimmed out by Fairfax after being filmed. But apparently there was a lot more about that encampment and those characters were fleshed out a lot more. But as is, we get a monkey and that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and we see that the the old dude who came along for the ride i don't remember his name um Somebody, not roxton but yeah Somebody. so yeah so yep, he's Somebody. got like the bug that he's looking at and he's showing it off and and he's just having the time of his life like he's just uh, looking at everything and and being blown away like oh look at all these bugs and like look at look at all these people here and 
he's just constantly amazed by stuff, which I'm like, oh, that's kind of fun. Like, it is nice to have a character like that. Normally, um, you would think that the 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 lady would fill that spot where she'd be the one who's who's dumbfounded and and shocked by all these things. But I like that her character is like, yeah, no, I've been here. Like I was here months ago. Like yeah, I I caught jungle fever, uh, she calls it, and and had to stay back at base camp when my dad went exploring. But like I've been here. Like yeah, all this stuff's cool. But like I've seen it before. Like yeah, you 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 uh you enjoy it, old man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, he's a fun character. I like that old man. I like I like that he's allowed to be excited over seeing these things, which is exactly. which is good. I mean, yeah. again, it's before we, we 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 grew up in the '90s, right? It was too cool to like be affected by things, <laughs> at yeah. least in movies and like culture. They're like, ah, uh-uh, you can't think this is cool. You have to be like bugs, whatever, man. I'm gonna just skateboard all over them. Yeah, um, but yeah, that, that that was a nice change. Apparently, the next scene that takes place when they're kind of like going down the river, there was a lot more in the script. There's like an entire cannibal subplot which i'm kind of glad got removed to be honest yeah <laughs> um, that that definitely would not have uh as as poorly as some of this stuff has aged that would have definitely been it, it definitely would have had shrunken heads and bone through the nose and yeah i'm sure it would have been, been sort of uh although pretty... it's still kind of referenced because like it at one point uh in terrible pigeon english uh the one character says maybe them cannibals got them and the cannibals is spelled weird but it is right. kind of referenced and that's why he has an injured arm by the way okay uh, again that was another thing where i looked at my phone for a second and i looked back i'm like did i miss how he got injured like yeah. What happened? Yeah, no, he his arm is supposed to get like bo- like massively slashed by the cannibals during one of their oh. fight scenes. And during again, like the people who are helping them, you see a whole bunch of people helping them down the river. They eventually like they're supposed to like lead a revolt and just like leave and be like, "Ah, screw you guys. You suck. We're leaving. Like you guys are terrible and getting us hurt." And they like leave and they abandon. So like that's one of the one of the, the things that like it, you can like probably just surmise in your head and be like oh he just got injured on the road or something it's not a big deal but given that it's a movie you know there usually is like a reason in the scene for that right so yeah you don't normally have to just input that in your head but so it kind of takes away from it with uh with what we've got left but you know it still works in the end the important stuff is there but yeah apparently yeah. that was a lot more detailed in the book and a lot of that like the, the a lot of the animal footage uh was uh, was apparently from a documentary and let me tell you i can tell that documentary was not filmed uh ethically at all because those are some stressed Ooh, out with the cheetah yeah that cheetah is stressed out you can see the way that they're like pushing that cheetah like someone behind the scenes like pushing and poking at that cheetah and like getting it going because that yeah. is not ethical those others are not ethically filmed i can guarantee it no they would not have gotten that spca seal of approval or, or PETA seal of approval for sure I, I was sort of stressed out being like, oh, that poor creature. But then I'm like, okay, it was almost 100 years ago. I don't have to be happy that it happened, but nothing I can do will change it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's Very just, true. let's, let's get to the dinosaurs. So they, they find, is it the, the peninsula or how is it? 
Yeah, so it's like a peninsula. I think that's what they, they call it, like a, a plateau. I believe they the call plateau, it a plateau, yeah. right? Where it's like this hilariously, the only way to get to the plateau it makes and get no up sense is two trees, and they cut down one of the trees. The way the plateau looks is just bonkers because it's like a little plateau, and then the only way to get across to the big, big plateau is cutting down trees to like make like a, a bridge over. Yeah. Which apparently there are only two trees up there. Both of them are the perfect length. And one of them was used the last time for the exposition. Expedition. Maple White cut down the last one. And then after he crossed, it fell. So they cut a new one. (laughs) And then then it it falls. But that's what just... Well, the Barontosaurus is like, screw this this tree. It just like throws it down. Yes. (laughs) Like the Barontosaurus picks up the tree and then throws it on the ground. And you're like, okay... Well, like, okay, that, so dinosaur? first they get to the plateau, and we should mention that, yes, it's it's now however many, I think I looked, and it was like 35 minutes into the movie, and we see the first dinosaur, and it is the pterodon or pterodactyl. Right, and yes, it's and it's like flying. eating a, it's eating a, 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 a boar? I think it's a boar. Yeah, it picks up some creature, and then eats it, and then is like wiping off its beak on the rocks. I was like, oh, that's gotta hurt, but whatever, I guess you're... You're a dinosaur, you know what you're doing. And they're all shocked, like, oh, crap. Like, dinosaurs are real. There is one right there. Holy crap. So yeah, then they yeah. do climb the, the, the plateau, which it it has to be seen to be understood how zany it looks. Uh, and then them cutting down the tree, was that animated? Like, it, it, was, it was such a neat-looking little style the way they did it to show like a silhouette of people cutting down the tree i don't know if it was stop motion itself or if it was traditional animation Uh, i'm not sure they didn't they didn't specify that in anything that i that i've got but it's a very interesting it's a very interesting it's it's lit very interestingly it it reminded me of you know the the spielberg of it all it reminded me of the scene in raiders of the lost ark where they're digging to get into the well of souls and you're seeing like their silhouettes against uh the desert like so right a lot a lot of these filmmaking techniques are what like uh, people people when they talk about raiders of the lost ark we've kind of joked about it a few times but a lot of the origins of raiders is from like old serials and a lot of uh, things filmed using similar items and i'm pretty sure that spielberg knows about the lost world uh just guessing based on the title of the second movie Uh, exactly he's like a film buff so yeah Uh, and but. so they they cut down the tree. They they all take turns crossing. The brontosaurus sees them and goes to knock down the tree. So uh, the monkey sadly is not able to cross to join them. So right. the monkey and goes I, I back down to base camp and hangs out with the the native and the one. Uh, the is it the butler? I he think he's just like a Cockney guy they picked up. Like oh, he just, okay. he's apparently he's a he's an invention of the the screenplay. So right. like I wasn't again. He's not explained. He's, he's just there. He's another just... white guy who's another old white guy who's there to help. But he uh, is down at base camp with the the native guy and the monkey, and they're sort of. We get to see them just looking up through binoculars or whatever at them on the, on the plateau. Um, because yeah, it looks like it's the narrowest little thing that you cross with this deep gorge below it. 
but on top of it is all of these dinosaurs and creatures and it's like why why are these dinosaurs hanging out on this thing that's like a hundred feet up it's uh, wild it's a wild thing i think is this where we get introduced to the to the ape men yes oh my because gosh because i think the, the ape men try and have something to do with knocking the log down or i, I know the ape so. men become more of a role later but it, it reminded me of the the creature on the wing in the 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 twilight zone the <laughs> The terror at twenty thousand feet, like that it is looks... a, that is a very apt comparison. That's a very apt comparison. I was just amazed by how good it looked. By the way, like that yes. ape man costume looks way better. And like, I watch a lot of like B ape man movies, so yeah. I've seen a lot of ape suits. Like I, I wrote an article on every iteration of Kong exploitation, and uh, let me tell you. That's a lot of ape movies, and some of them were porn. And anyways, <laughs> but no, movie. I I like but, that they did an ape man instead of just a gorilla costume. Yeah, because gorilla, there's nothing that That's I don't want to say bugs say. me, but like when you see those movies, I think one of the most egregious ones is that movie Baby's Day Out, uh, and then there's that other movie Born to Be Wild, both around the same time in the early '90s, where it's like. Let's just put somebody in a gorilla suit that is clearly a human in a gorilla suit. Right. Now I, this this I was hate the definitely saggy bottoms of gorilla suits. Yeah, I hate, they I just mean, when, they when never Americans look... that make I don't know what it is because like the Japanese like there's a whole mess of problems with the uh, King Kong suit in Godzilla versus Kong, King Kong, but like it doesn't have the saggy bottom at least. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I like that this uh, these reminded me of yeah the the creature from. Uh, the Twilight Zone, and the other thing it reminded me of, and I wondered if the design was sort of uh, the inspiration of, is I don't know if you remember this Simpsons episode, but um, Skinner's Sense of Snow, where the kids are all trapped in the school because they get snowed in, and Skinner makes them watch that uh, like three-hour-long, terrible movie, The Christmas That Almost Wasn't But Then Was um oh my god i'm looking at it right now that looks like yeah that looks there's hobgoblin characters and the hobgoblin characters the way their faces and their teeth look look very reminiscent of the ape man in this film yeah that is uh that is pretty that is pretty surprising do you want to know the name of the man in this suit because it's amazing uh hit me with it bull montana that's dope that is that dude's name that's but awesome he so apparently so you see him running around with a chimpanzee in the movie apparently yeah. that's supposed to be his mate okay. okay i figured there was something like that going on but it was never explained i'm like okay maybe they're just like father and son or something the fact that it's implied that they're mates uh first of all the the disproportionate size <laughs> is is bothersome but uh i i did I did get excited when I was like, oh, a real chimpanzee, like the ape man's hanging out with a chimpanzee. Like it's, it's sort of Tarzan-y, but yeah, uh... that's true. So, so this, they mentioned this in the commentary, but like the commentator is like, I find this highly suspicious. Like he's not convinced that this is a real anecdote, but apparently in some of the press uh, production stuff, when they were like trying to get people to watch the movie, they're like, Bull Montana was so convincing as an ape man, the ape he was with would eat gnats off of the ape suit 
because he loved it and found it so convincing. And I was like, yeah, okay, man. Like, that is probably... one of those stories that it does sound made up, but is also so harmless and and somewhat it's believable. It's where just I'm not, fun. I'm like... not bothered by it. Where I'm like, oh, that. I mean, you know, my my dogs, they'll like try and groom me, like try and lick out my ear and uh like clean sweat off of me if if i come in from the heat so i'm not totally shocked if uh if the ape if the chimpanzee did pick gnats off of the guy it would be strange but like it's it's stranger things have happened i mean we're talking about bull montana here this is no simple man this is bull montana Apparently he had played a ape man uh, prior in like a thriller that has been completely lost. That was also directed by, sorry, that was also written by Fairfax. So Interesting. he's been pigeonholed in the ape man. So that's kind of cool because, uh, you know, especially in the fifties, there was like a go-to dude who was in every ape suit. Right. So it's cool that Bull Montana was like that early, that early version of that. As yeah. That, which is kind of cool. Um, and apparently the ape's name was Petunia. That was the chimpanzee's name was Petunia. Oh. So there you go. They have names. So, I'm amazed because I couldn't even. So, for example, I'm amazed that the, these names of these animals are written down because I can't, for the life of me, find the name of the cat that was used in Alien, right? And that's in the 70s. But, like, this 1925 movie, somebody somewhere wrote down, oh, yeah, this ape's name Petunia. Like, yeah. Boom. And, like, Jocko had a credit in the in the opening credits. It was As like, himself. Yeah. <laughs> So I was like, "Oh, okay." Like the, the I, because I didn't know what it was. It's just like, "Oh, and Jocko is himself." And I'm like, "What?" So it was it was neat when we actually saw who Jocko was, because he's just a cute little capuchin uh, monkey. Um, yeah, he I think he's a capuchin. I think um, I think so. I think so. So and they they explain that the reason and that's the other thing I like that they 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 do have little exposition, but it's not wasteful like. They explain that like, oh yeah, Jocko's coming along because he can he can climb places that we can't and he can he can do things and he's like our perfect little guide. Like it's not just like, oh, there needs to be a monkey in this movie. He legit has a purpose and he actually ends up saving the day later in the movie. Yeah, so, they, they they I think they also say that he can like figure out what foods are good to eat, like so he knows right. what berries are good to eat and stuff like yeah. that. Which you know, hey, that's that's you know that's pretty good reasoning, right? Like that, especially that's after they happen. become stranded, they all get stuck because the brontosaurus knocks down the tree, uh, so they all get stuck on this plateau, uh, and they aren't sure how long they're going to be there and 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 what dangers await them, and oh, if Maple yeah. White is alive. Is this when the Dickosaurus Rex, or as I like to call him, but he's actually an Allosaurus, shows up and just starts like wrecking, wrecking shit up and just biting and like mauling everything it sees? Like, I think so because I think he such a jerk. It just shows up like it doesn't even eat half the things it kills. Like it'll show up and it kills like a duck-billed dinosaur, which like I think some places called it like an Edmontosaurus, but like I'm not sure if that. Maybe at the time that's what that was, but you know it doesn't right. look like how it looks now. What they think of, but anyways, he like kills it. He like he bites it and like eats some of the viscera of it. But then like it just like falls in the lake and he doesn't even care. Like he's just like whatever. Yeah. Um. Okay. Do you want to hear an, like an embarrassing story about one of these effects with this dinosaur? I do. Okay. So the dinos, the Allosaurus, after like causing some causing some ruckus, he like messes around with some Triceratops, and he goes to fight and attack the humans. And the humans like throw a lit log at him, and he like catches it in its mouth, right? Yeah. 
and there's like the shot of it in its mouth. So when I was early looking up this movie and trying to find more information on it, I looked, I saw that image and was like, oh, LOL, someone made a 420 meme of this dinosaur movie. Like it looks like he's smoking <laughs> a little doobie. Oh, that's, that's funny and ridiculous, but where's the actual shots? And then I watched the movie and I'm like, oh my God, I am a moron. <laughs> I thought this was a dinosaur smoking a doobie. It is not. That's hilarious, but I totally get why you would make that mistake. Because they throw a lit torch and it catches it and it holds it in its mouth for a couple seconds before spitting it out and running away. Um, it is interesting. It wasn't color timed in the version I watched, but you you watched the Flickr Alley Blu-ray, right? Yeah. Um, and those were tint. The, the, the scene was tinted blue, but they discovered that on one of the original prints that they actually tinted the fire red with a certain technique. So even though it is a, not a movie shot in color, the way they tinted it had it so that the fire was lit. And I'm like, that's really cool. Yeah. And that's, that's the version I saw. So like, and that's the version I saw on like a line too. So I was like, Oh, this, this is clearly not in the movie. Cause it's the black and white movie. So like, I yeah. didn't expect that effect to happen. Uh, I, what do you think of the, the use of color in the movie? Like, I think they actually like the problem is the, the consistency is not there because they have a whole bunch of different prints that have gone through a whole bunch of different things in their lives but yeah i do think there is clearly an attempt at trying to like make things look a specific way when they're in a specific location which i thought was kind of interesting yeah i i always admire if if that was the director's original intent or how the style was at the time i think it's cool there's a movie i've seen from around the same time actually a little older called the phantom carriage uh that has some really great tinting and even some of the versions of Nosferatu I've seen have really cool tinting for some of the scenes. So it, it is cool when they have set these, it, it is just like a gel or a filter or whatever they're using for the tint, but it is really cool to see how that because they were limited with their film stock, how they wanted to try and get across uh, colors and, and, and moods and themes. So it, it was really well, well done. It's certainly the best version uh, that I've seen. I've actually, I've want, I really want to watch the Phantom Carriage though. That movie is supposed to be really amazing, so I definitely need to watch that. Um, when I think of uh, colorization, especially in its early days and use of color, I think of this. Have you ever heard of the Luigi Co Cozy cut of Godzilla? Uh, no. It has a Fabio Fritzi score, like who did a lot of like the famous Italian thing. And when they did the Italian cut, they used gels to do all the lighting. So Ooh. like when Godzilla is like burning everything, it's like to crazy music and it's in Italian and there's like fire everywhere and it's like red everywhere. And then like they will randomly show you like real nuclear aftermath footage that is not in the original movie and just cuts to and you see like real aftermath of a nuclear blast and people with like nuclear radiation poisoning and you're like oh god what old documentary is this like randomly cut in from this is horrifying yeah that's um, it is uh, uh, that's intense yeah that's intense but for for whatever reason that is now in my head because they it's all lit with gels like they use gels to like kind of like put it out and the only reason that exists is also because some fan um you know held on to it and recreated it so you know that's kind of cool awesome 
Um, but yeah, so this is probably a good time to talk about the dinosaurs in general because there's kind of like a variety of dinosaur sequences that'll kind of be uh, yeah, like this is where we really get to the meat of the movie. Yeah, and what did you think in the commentary? uh, And I think you definitely do see it. They they state how it seems kind of apparent that Willis O'Brien's skill improved as the film went on. If you can look at it like it was shot in sequence, which I believe with that comment, I believe that's it was animated in sequence uh which is odd but i guess that's that's how it was for whatever reason because uh, mm-hmm. the early like triceratop fights and the early appearance of the allosaurus kind of look a little more stiff than uh say when there's the giant fight between the brontosaurus and the allosaurus on the plat at the edge of the plateau or when yeah that, that looks great or when there's that amazing sequence uh, after the volcano where, like, they're all riding on top of, like, dinosaurs and, like, it just gets wild. Yeah. But uh, uh, what yeah. did you think as a whole? And did you have a favorite? Did you have a favorite dinosaur? Um, is it is it that it – does a T-Rex show up and kill the Allosaurus or something? Is that what happens? Apparently the Alice, the, there is a T Rex in the movie. Apparently that, that that's one of the scenes that kind of happens in the middle of that that like uh, volcano sequence, which okay. which in the original script and in the book, um, I well I'm not sure about it in the book, but the original script was actually supposed to be caused by that dude's pipe. Like the Summerlee has a pipe and it's missing throughout oh. a certain because he was supposed to accidentally start a forest fire with his pipe. And it was supposed to be like a thematic thing, and they did not have the um, volcano sequence in the script. Uh, Willis O'Brien opted to make it himself to take over. Wow! I guess they've removed that scene or whatever, and they like asked him if he could do something, and he's like, "Yeah, I can. I can figure out something." Which you know, not an easy feat. Uh, some of it no. was stock footage, but a lot of that was just his original like animation team. It's not just him. There were people like Edgar Delgado who uh, sculpted a lot of these creatures, but you know, right. Sorry, Marcel. I don't know why I said Edgar, but Marcel Delgado. <laughs> but um, I did really enjoy the the brontosaurus versus the allosaurus, like just on the. That was so cool. Was yeah, really cool. I thought that was really well done because I'm like, is it gonna pull it off? Like, is it gonna grab it and and pull it with it? And I'm like, oh no, like it's just going on its own. And then I was survive. I was shocked that it survived. Well, right, because so one of the crazy things, I mean, like, even if you look at posters of this movie and and with my general idea of how this trope normally works, I was like, oh, yeah, the Allosaur, he's obviously a dick. He's going to somehow end up being like there. Yeah. Like at the end, like he's going to be the one they bring back to civilization because it's almost always like a meat eater that comes back. Like when you think of like uh, Jurassic Park, for example, they bring back the meat eater or in a variety of other giant monster movies. Like it's not a herbivore that shows up. It's a meat eater. It's a big T-Rex looking beast. Uh, But to see it being like a more peaceful sauropod who still does some amazing destruction sequence, which we will definitely get into that that end scene because there are some really funny behind the scenes details to talk about on that. (laughs) But... um, uh, yeah, it's it's weird, but I I was surprised. So like I couldn't even call it breaking the mold. It's that whoever first made the decision to make it a carnivore instead of like a a piece more peaceful like vegetarian herbivore, uh, they broke the mold. So that's the yeah. weird part about that, I guess. But it it really weirded me out because I was just like, huh, this is weird. I think the only other time I've seen like a long 
long-necked monster even happen is another willis o'brien movie that he supervised really really late in his life called the giant behemoth which has pretty impressive effects and is like a horrifying tale of nuclear woe but is a Mm. very has very terrible human segments so it's one of those movies (laughs) uh what was what was your favorite of the the you know a barrage of of dinosaur scenes we got in there there's so many good ones so many good ones i i really do love that final rampage sequence um just because it's like it's really kind of like the birth of the genre that i love right because i kind of got into this from my love well i got into godzilla because i loved dinosaurs as a kid but godzilla has really been like a through line in my love of dinosaurs and like this is the very first destruction of a city sequence done by a giant monster and it's executed mm-hmm. so well that i can't help but love the brontosaurus like i love him yeah and I, and I think that was, that all is like really cool now they don't even show this in kong so like again they 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 love to skip over this part i would have loved to know how the hell they got him back especially with like a steamer boat like what yeah and they're talking about how like how well the mud would hold and you're like yeah that's a good question wait how are you gonna get him on a ship and get him back and like there's like nothing there apparently uh in the script uh or and they might say it in the movie but like there's this there's a more extended scene showing the uh the load off of the beast and it broke a wire and it got out kind of thing uh in the script right. but um yeah it was just uh it it was they they always skip past those parts i would love to know how it got there but i also love uh did your version end with the coda of him like swimming back to through the ocean uh no oh my goodness so he falls so that the we'll get back to the human elements in a second but just while we're talking about this scene he falls into um into the ocean after a london bridge i believe it's london bridge tower bridge tower bridge mm, yeah it's in london no i'm just kidding yes yes it is <laughs> the tower uh, that's the, tower the thing bridge. it's it's, yeah. it's the one bridge yeah yeah it's a tower bridge uh and and he falls uh th- through that into the ocean and the very last shot of the movie at least in the version i watched is like a really grainy print so i don't know what version they found this in but it's like there's like a steamer boat like in the background going and in the foreground is um the dinosaur apparently just trucking through the ocean swimming back home it's like supposed to be like the middle of the ocean and his head is up and he's just like paddling that's awesome (laughs) yeah fun way to end it yeah like that's just like a fun really cute way to end the movie i thought so um all of that all of that really uh really worked for me yeah yeah the just all of those scenes and then like you mentioned the 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 volcano scene like oh that was crazy what like i do recommend watching the entire movie but if you can go on and just watch a compilation of all the dinosaur scenes it's it's like a half hour or so i saw that there was one on youtube like just watch that for all the dinosaur stuff and for the the volcano like it's crazy stuff well like all the composite so like a, a lot of these i believe these are um double composites i think sorry uh what, what is that what is that called again i think it's just composite they just like composite shots in order to do yeah. them but like the idea that like the smoke especially in that in that uh volcano sequence it's like the smoke is there and then there's also the scenes of the dinosaurs and then there's also a just like a general environment 
that they filmed it all in. My cat is just going ham right now. Yeah. Uh, good, uh, good. That cat is, uh, he's, he's trying to talk to my other cat. You know, he goes ham. But there's so many elements at work in that particular version that I, I absolutely love, uh, love that scene. And uh, in the, in the, the destruction sequence when we were talking about it, the reason why there's fog in there is so that in case people like the way it was compo- composited in in case anybody's head got cut off like it wouldn't be noticeable so they Ooh. added fog into that scene and it adds like a level because it's like it's also london like i'm not that surprised to see fog like that's kind of like a thing about britain in general is that there are tons of fog so it worked mm-hmm. but it was also there to kind of hide a technical thing so little things like that are really cool to know that's awesome uh oh yeah God. it was it it is crazy that it does just yeah it, it once they're on the plateau and once they've fought off the allosaur uh it it is interesting that yeah it is mostly just a bunch of 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 mini scenes of of dinosaurs fighting or them interacting with the dinosaurs except for the uh catapult scene where uh uh challenger is arguing with uh was it summerly or uh about if if they try and set up this tree as a trap and then they launch something off the top of the tree will it be like an arch or will it be a parabola and then them arguing and then the vine slips and summerly goes flying and like ends up in a, in a fucking like pond and then challenger's like i told you a parabola and like what so funny that's so it was funny. such a bizarre it's like scene such a weird but, uh, scene like in the middle of that like it's like there's like this bromance forming and like when you cut back to the other characters like yeah i just found my dad's corpse and got his watch and then it's like oh well we had a wacky adventure with a catapult that we don't yeah. ever use like they don't yeah. use a catapult why did they build the catapult <laughs> like just so would... that they can shoot summerly across this <laughs> across the set I respect that. I respect if like Challenger didn't even want to make a weapon to hurt the dinosaurs. He just wanted to fuck with Summerlee. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. great. Oh, that is that is great. And, it's and about like here... you mentioned, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, like you mentioned, like Roxton goes exploring because they end up in in a cave system uh, to get away from the dinosaurs. They're sort of in these caves, and they're like, "Oh, your dad could be hiding in any one of these caves." there's there's miles of tunnels like we need to explore and it is when roxton is exploring that as you mentioned he finds uh maple white's pocket watch and uh a a skeleton or at least a skull and it's implied that yeah maple white is dead so he brings the watch back uh for maple white's daughter yeah and they, they have a they have a nice scene uh of those two where again like you kind of get get more of the idea of like the relationship there and it it doesn't seem wholly romantic it seemed like a little bit more like he's obviously feeling romantic but like she also just finds him like a comforting presence like she doesn't find him like threatening and she like she trusts him enough that when he delivers this information she doesn't need to go check for herself she just kind of like takes it in and and knows that he's telling her the truth and then there's kind of that weird romance with ed that kind of just happens yeah where ed is like hey we're now that we're trapped up here like any ties we have in the real world don't matter anymore 
let's get married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they literally want to get Summerlee to marry them, which you're like, He's um, like, Summerlee used to be a priest. He can marry us right now. Like, uh, I'm like, because uh, he's like, like well, Christian. hey, baby, we're going to die. Like, <laughs> let's let's get married. <laughs> let's get married. We could have the Brontosaurus be like our best man. Like, he just shows up. It was up. so bizarre because I was expecting, like, I was not expecting the romance to go like that. Like, I didn't necessarily expect her to end up with Roxton at the end. But Roxton, I gotta say, was a pretty good dude throughout all this. Like, he didn't he didn't try and fuck with Ed too much, and he wasn't, like, flying off the handle and being an asshole about it. He was like, oh, no, like, as much as I love you, I kind of get that you don't love me, and I am an old man. It makes more sense that you go with this guy, even if you aren't wild about him. At least he, he you know... He he doesn't have the money I have, but he's he's a loving guy, and and he can be the guy for you. Yeah, that was a it was a nice change because like there are even moments where like uh, Ed Ed has a moment and they have a moment together, and he like just goes, oh, they're like happy together. Like I'm not gonna be a dick and ruin this. Like I can see that it just makes them happy with each other, and and there are definitely like plenty of spaces where he could have just been like, yeah, no, I'm gonna fuck with this, or I'm gonna make sure this guy dies, or normally on expositions like this like there's like a bad guy like i feel like a lot of movies where somebody gets marooned one of them suddenly just becomes terrible and evil and wants to like murder all the other people right like yeah and and wants to like take control and get the woman like there's a lot of those movies we'll be talking about a lot of those movies yeah they're they're questionable at best um but i i was i was presently surprised that the entire party like had a good sense of uh maintaining who they were and they didn't really have a lot of infighting between them and when even the characters that were antagonistic at the start like Summerlee and and challenger like they found a, a common ground and like kind of got got into a like a fun friendship together as well which is kind of cool yeah it was great they all just work together and once the volcano starts erupting and and they're trying to figure out how are they gonna save them it's like oh the the guy and the the native guide have worked together to make a rope ladder and then they get jocko to climb up uh to uh to maple white's daughter to because jocko is in love with her and will climb anywhere for her so that's how they explain like oh how is this monkey gonna like how are we gonna get this rope ladder up like a hundred feet and uh yeah it's all thanks to jocko yeah jocko's the best it was it was beauty that got the ladder to get them down from the beast yes um it's it's kind of it's kind of funny when that this is when the the uh the ape man subplot just dramatically ends because like they're like going down uh the rope ladder and then ed i think it's ed who's like the last person and then like the monk the the ape man just starts like pulling up the ladder and is like i'm gonna get this guy i'm gonna get this guy because they had a few run-ins like i believe he goes up a tree at one point and they like have like a little moment where they're like yeah the ape man climbed the tree after ed because Ed climbed up there to get a, a good vantage point to see everything. And while he was up the top of the tree, the ape man tried to mess with him. And Roxton shot the ape man in the arm. And he fell from the tree uh, and clearly got injured but ran away. Uh, so, yeah, he's got it out for Ed and Roxton. And uh... he gets marked. 
Roxon just shoots him. Like he's in the yep. middle of like pulling him up and then Roxon just like shoots him and it looks like it hits him in the chest and he leaves his poor sweet darling Petunia to pick the gnats off his corpse, I guess. Yeah. What, uh, what a bummer. But I mean, you know, he did it to himself. Yep. Yep. He was a jerk. Jerks is going to get jerked. And then, and then like the most random, one of those random scenes happens where they find the, the, you know, the brontosaur in the mud and they're like, well, it's in the mud. Don't know what we're going to do with it now. And then just an expedition team, just like, oh, we saw the fire and we just showed up. What's up? What? Oh, what the, what the devil is this thing? <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, yeah, no, if, if you want to get this back to London, like, don't worry, we're going to build you a giant cage and then we'll help you get it out to the steamer ship. And then you can get it from here back to London and it'll all be okay. And I mean, it, it it's absurd in every movie that they do it in. At least in this one, they're like, yeah, no, like we're laying it out for everybody. So they don't wonder like, how the hell did they get the dinosaur to London? It's like, hey, here's an exposition. Here's a mini dump. Like I can build you a giant cage. Don't worry about it. And we'll get that thing out of the mud. Don't worry about it. And we'll help you get it on a boat and get it all the way to England. Don't worry about it. It's just them being like, don't nitpick this. That's how it gets to England. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. They just lay it out there. And then, then they, get, they get to England mighty quick. And they're like, I will show you the beast. And then he gets a call and he's like, I gotta go catch the beast. Like Challenger has like a whole bunch of people at the meeting and he's like, I'm going to show you the beast. He'll be here soon. And then he's like, Oh, I got it. He gets a call from Ed and Ed explains that the beast is loose and he has to go find the beast. Basically. And he tries to leave. Yeah. And like, they're all like trying to like mob him. And he's like, no, I literally don't give a shit about your opinions. I'm literally trying to get out to grab and get my dinosaur. Get out yeah. of the way. And, and then that's we get when, a shot like, of London with, beautiful with a brontosaurus rampaging down cobblestone streets yep pretty much it's pretty great it's pretty great there is apparently one of the deleted scenes that i just love is there is supposed to be a scene where a drunk went to like find a kitty like pet a cat like a stray cat and then went in to go get him milk and then came back out and thought that the dinosaur had become the cat and he was just yeah. really drunk. And I'm like, what? I'm like, okay. That's <laughs> awesome because that would have been like a nice, fun little slapstick for the end of the movie. But I get why they didn't do it because it's like, no, no, no. We've left the slapstick behind. Let's finish well, this. That's true. There is some slapsticky thing when like the dinosaurs like poking his head through like that game. Like when they're like all like hanging out in that room and he just oh, like, pokes true. his head in and he's like, what's up, guys? How's it going? Like there was something a little bit, but yeah, you're right. Like it's it's pretty serious from that end, and then he falls in the ocean and swims away. And then we get the moment where Ed goes up to Gladys and is like, "Hey, I'm a man now," and she's like, "Yeah, I, I that was just that was." She's like, "You were gone for a like, couple months. Like, did you really expect me to wait? This yeah. is my husband, and her husband looks like younger Groucho Marx, <laughs> and he's he's like he looks." much older than ed uh and then he's got like a mustache and he does this weird little move where like he uses his finger to like flick up the edges of his mustache like not like twirl it like a movie villain but just flick up the edges and then sort of like give ed a hard time like oh yeah no uh and ed's like so what daring feat did he do to win your heart and she's like oh those were just my girlish whims like he's a man who can provide for me (laughs) 
And I'm like, fuck you, Gladys. Like, But then Ed is sort of like, hey, that's okay. Now I can be with Maplewood Jr. Yep, and that's... even though she's there with Roxton, to everybody else, it just sort of seems like the father-daughter relationship. And he sort of does give the consent of a father to be like, no, it makes more sense for you to go off with Ed. And then yep. somebody walks by him and they're like, oh, look, there's Roxton, sportsman. And I'm like, okay, is I guess that's their way of saying, like, what a good sport he is. Like, giving up the woman he loves because he's old. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was an odd scene. Uh, and then I was like, oh, he's got the cane back again. The cane that he clearly doesn't need to use. He's, he's, he's got yeah. it back out because he's in public. That's what he yep. uses. You know, he's got that schwanky thing. Um, I love that the final shot of Challenger is just him, like, cursing the sky when, like, his dinosaur is, like, falling off the bridge. He's just, yeah. like, sitting and, like, getting so mad and, like, so woe is me type of behavior. Oh, yeah. I love it. Apparently, they intended to make a sequel to this, uh, and they were going to call – there was a few sequel ideas, but the one that got the farthest into production was called – I believe it was called Creation – and that is a clip from that is also on the the uh, the Blu-ray that I own. And the test footage from Creation is actually what Willis O'Brien watched and witnessed uh, that gave him the idea and the ability to use stop motion to do King Kong. So cool. It never got made and never made it to fully be produced. But you know, this is uh, this is the start and the highlight of Willis O'Brien uh, and. We're going to go through Willis O'Brien's career uh, in the next few episodes. I think that would be a good way to, to start. And um, let's just say um, man has a depressing, depressing life. Depressing life. But now he's all good. This is the top of Willis O'Brien's game. He went, from a, he went from a boxer to a teacher to a marble man. Like, he did it all. Um, and now he's in the world of the movie business. Um, but before we get too far out, out of this, uh, Alex, what are your final thoughts on, on The Lost World as a whole? And are you glad you watched it? You know what? Like I've mentioned before, uh, there are times when watching silent black and white things really do try and lull me to sleep. And I got to say, the entire time I was watching this, at no point did I get bored or tired. Uh, it's a fun ride the whole way through. It is a little, it's not, I wouldn't necessarily call it long, but a lot of the shots in the middle are just like the dinosaur battle shots, which are the reason to see the movie, but they are just like, they do slow the story down because they just, they're extra padding in the middle. That's great. It There's nothing wrong with that. It just, it slows the movie down a bit. So even though it starts off really fast and has good pace, it does get a little slow in the middle there, but the end is fantastic. It's such a fun ride. Uh, I'm really glad that I watched, I'm pretty sure almost, I think I watched the one that must be one or two releases before yours because I definitely, maybe I missed it, but I don't remember seeing the the uh, brontosaurus swimming at the end. Uh, but no, it's it's definitely a lot of fun. And if anybody's interested in, yeah, like just the old stop motion techniques and seeing a lot of um, trial run in a lot of ways for King Kong, both 
uh you know stop motion wise and like you've mentioned story wise uh this is it would make a good double feature with king kong for sure for sure um is there anywhere on the internet where we can find your works you know what uh if you follow me on instagram at aj pattison p-a-t-t-e-s-o-n uh you know i i mostly post these days about movie anniversaries um it's something where yeah there's not a whole lot of new content coming out but i do love to celebrate like the other day was the 30th anniversary of uh the release of back to the future part three um so i love i love just watching a movie as close as i can to when it came out yeah 10 20 30 however many years ago uh and posting about that and i just post fun stories sometimes and yeah, I'm not active in many other places, but if you like, uh, yeah, movies and collectibles, uh, yeah, my Instagram's a, f- a fun account to follow. I would, uh, I would endorse that fully. You uh, post some of the best Instagram content out there. So. Well, thank you. So thank you Where very much. Where can people much. find you, Andrew? Well, you can find me on Twitter at wine uh, wine movie nerd. Or you can email this podcast at milkshakesandmimosas at gmail.com. Yeah, I didn't make a specific email for this podcast. I mean, just email me there. That's fine. That works. It all works. Uh, And you can find us wherever podcasts are found now because we're on everything. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have any recommendations or have any interest on being on the show to talk about a dinosaur film that particularly, uh, you know, you're interested in and you love, uh, feel free to reach out and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. And as always, shooter. Goodbye. (laughs)